central unit that God brings out of Egypt and through the wilderness is the family unit. The original family unit as designed and as described in Scripture is that of a father, a mother, and children. In this family unit, there are roles that we play. Parents are to train children not simply to be doctors and lawyers and professors, but they are to train their children to be godly men and women. Children are to receive instruction and obey their parents. Children are to grow, develop, and mature. And they are also supposed to assist their parents in the maintenance of the home and the family unit. Each family as a unit, is supposed to be a revolutionary agent of change. In other words, every family unit is supposed to make a difference in the context and community in which God has set it. Uh, we are, according to Matthew, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And it is the will of God that the family not only be different, but that the family makes a difference. The Christian family is not designed to alienate people or segregate people or dominate people, but it is designed to draw people to God. In 1998, Spencer Johnson partnered with Ken Blanchard, and they co-authored a book entitled, Who Moved My Cheese? An Amazing Way to Deal with Change. In 1964, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. authored a book entitled, Why We Can't Wait. And when we think of the word revolution in America, we think of people like John Hancock and George Washington, Patrick Henry, and Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys. You remember those characters from U.S. history? But we are called to be revolutionaries also. Who Moved My Cheese speaks of revolution or change in a general sense. But Dr. King's book, Why We Can't Wait, speaks of change in the context of the African-American community. Both are very important. And in light of our history, there remains the continual struggle to redirect our path from slavery to freedom. Are you all still here? to redirect our paths from victimized to victory, from disadvantaged to equality, and from uninvited to totally engaged. In other words, we are called to continue to struggle to move from working for other people to working for ourselves and on our own terms. And in this context, Joshua brings the families of Israel into the promised land. And God is quick to tell Joshua that Moses is dead. Yeah. In other words, he's saying, Joshua, things have changed. There are not going to be any more plagues like there were in Egypt. It's a new day, Joshua. So you and all of these people get ready to cross the Jordan River that I am about to give to them. 
and I will give you every place where you set your foot just as I promised Moses. And from now on, your limitations are going to be self-imposed and not God-imposed. Look at verse 4 and verse 5. As you're turning there, God tells Joshua, you must defeat your enemies in the promised land. In other words, I'm going to give you the promised land, but somebody else is going to try to keep you from receiving the promised land that I'm giving to you. Are you all following me? In other words, he's saying your territory, look at this, will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. And no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so will I be with you, and I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. I want you to pay close attention to this, my brothers and sisters. If you take little steps, you will have haters. If you take big steps, you will have enemies. Yeah, if you take little steps, you will have haters. But if you take big steps, giant steps, steps of serious magnitude, you will have enemies. Haters talk, but enemies stalk. Haters taunt and tease. Enemies cause trouble and terrorize. Haters try to make you miserable right where you are, but enemies try to prevent you from going where God has called you to go. It is important that you understand the difference between an enemy and a hater. In other words, haters don't really matter. Can I get a witness? But your enemies must be defeated. In other words, your enemies do matter because they are trying to prevent you from possessing what God has ordained to be yours. You must seize the moment, the opportunity, and the territory that God has assigned to you. For us today, the territory is academic. It is not the will of God that our children languish at the bottom of the academic roles. In other words, it may be nearly impossible. It may be difficult to achieve, but we must still keep our sights on all A's and an occasional B. I wish I had a witness in the house. Entrepreneurial efforts is the territory. There is nothing more difficult than starting and running and developing a business. But the on, but only the listen to me, please. Only the entrepreneurial spirit can advance any community. Any community that is void of entrepreneurism can never be equal in the marketplace. And so we must have the entrepreneurial spirit. We must seize that territory because all strong communities have strong economic business centers. Seize the dollar because it is your territory. Your money must be earned. Somebody needs to say amen. Amen. 
Your money must be earned, but it also has to be saved. In other words, there has to be a default mechanism in your spirit that says save first and spend second. I wish I had somebody to say amen because it requires resources not only for personal advancement but to lay a foundation for the advancement of your children and grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Yes, health and physical fitness. Y'all going to get quiet on me now. Health and physical fitness is a territory. We must defeat the enemy of heart disease. It must be reversed where the scientists look at our people and instead of having the highest rate of heart disease and diabetes, that we have the lowest rates of heart disease and diabetes. We must defeat this enemy. We must seize the territory of key leadership positions in our society. You must not only be a professional, but you got to be great at it. You must be a great barber, an outstanding carpenter, a superior plumber, a crackerjack electrician, a stellar beautician, a decorated soldier, a transcendent professor, a premier politician because God said he would be with you Every place you set your foot, he will be with you to anoint you to take the territory he's assigned to you. And we must defeat the enemy, defeat the enemy of backstabbers and roadblockers and sleepiness and laziness and a lack of focus and indifference and excuses and disobedience and we must win the victory that we are called to win. And that victory is the total, somebody say total, is the total liberation of your people. Reinhold Niebuhr penned a prayer back in the early 20th century called the Serenity Prayer. And the Serenity Prayer says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. While God was trying to advance Joshua into the promised land to get more out of Joshua's life and to give more into Joshua's life, Joshua's, Joshua was stuck. He had stopped. He was immobile because he was obsessing over something that he had no control over. And he had enrolled himself in the Long-Term Grief Institute. In other words, Joshua's mentor, Moses, had died. And Moses had decided, Joshua had decided that he couldn't move forward because he was in a perpetual grief experience over Moses, his death. Y'all not feeling me, but I'm trying to say what God said to Joshua. God is saying to Joshua, you need to pray Reinhold Niebuhr's prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. 
Joshua could not afford to stop because Moses was dead. And sometimes grief totally immobilizes. We miss them, we love them, but God has not called you to join the dead. God has joined you, called you to live your life to his glory. So Joshua had to find a way to press forward in spite of his grief. How does one keep going when there's a bounty on your success? When somebody's trying to stop you from succeeding, when your mentor and those who have been guiding you up to this point die and leave you to carry the ball by yourself. How does one keep going when all of the odds really are stacked against you? Even though God said he would do it for you, the odds you see are stacked against you. How does one do it? How does one press through towards advancement when the situation looks impossible? Well, it's in this context you come to realize that you cannot do life alone. You're going to need other people, and you're going to need God. You're going to need people. Y'all listen to me. You're going to need people, people who will encourage you in the Lord. You're going to need cheerleaders and correctors and companions. You're going to need confidants who are in your life for the purpose of helping you be who God has called you to be. Hallelujah. You want a hairdresser who wants you to get the job. Can I get a witness? You don't want a hairdresser that's giving you a good hairstyle but hoping that you don't get the job. You need a hairdresser that has some anointed hands, that while she's doing your hair, she's praying over your head, praying that God will use the hairdo and God will give you everything else you need in addition to the hairdo to help you get the job. You need a banker. You need a banker who wants you to get the contract. You don't need a banker who just wants you to get deposits, but you need to have a banker on your side that wants you to get the funding, that wants you to get the contract, that you can be able to build your business and advance what God has put in your life. You want teachers who want you and your children to graduate from high school and to go on to college and to get advanced degrees. You want teachers who care not just about what's going on in their classroom, but they're hoping that somehow you're going to sail beyond their classroom to places they've never even been before themselves. Yes, you want to be part of a church where the systems are in place for you and your family to advance. I'm just trying to say that it's too late in the day For us just to come to church to clap our hands and pat our feet and just shout a shout of praise. The church has to be a place where there are systems in place to help you and your family advance. In that light, the fountain has, while we're worshiping in here, little children ages 2 to grades 5 are worshiping in their own context in the Springs Children's Church. Yes, the fountain has Bible study groups for adults and teens and young adults. The fountain has free, somebody shout free. We pay for it, but it's free if you participate. The fountain has free exercise classes twice a week right here for our members and 
for the community. Doesn't have any membership fee. You don't have to put no donation in the cup. All you got to do is come in and sweat. Come on now. Come in and do a a push-up. Come in and do some ab work because we're interested in your advancement. We have a Cub Scout troop. For the development of our young men, the fountain has a tutoring program where we are developing and mentoring these young people because the needs are great. We hosted a job fair this year. We're working on establishing this site as an election poll. We are serving in our community. We're building houses through Habitat for Humanity. So you have a place to use your gift. We've connected with his house, the orphanage, so you have a place to minister to the orphans. We have a partnership with Florida International University where they bring their medical students on this campus and they introduce our children to the medical sciences at an early age. And we are helping our children understand that you don't just have to be a technician or an orderly, but you can be the chief of surgery. Come on now. God can raise you up. But there must be help and there must be assistance. Why? Why do we offer all this? Because we're going to defeat our enemies and we're going to conquer the territory and we're going to do it by not complaining. I wish somebody say amen. I wish somebody say amen. I'm looking for my sons and my daughters in the Lord. I'm looking for our children to march into the classroom with their armor on and ready to take a test. It doesn't matter to them what's on the test. Bring me the test because I have been prepared and I have been taught that whatever territory God puts before me, if I put my foot down, he will bless me every place I go. Listen, advancement is never easy. Yes, yes, advancement is difficult. It is hard. It is very hard. As a matter of fact, I define it as spirit-crushing hard. Can somebody say amen? And accept the fact that we have the undeniable presence of God in our lives and on our side, we would quit. But since God is with me, I wish I had some help. Since God is on your side, you can make it. So to all the Joshua's in the house, You're going to need resources to defeat your enemy. You cannot defeat your enemy with the same stuff you came out of the womb with. You're going to need some more stuff to defeat your enemy. And God offers in this text some resources to Joshua. And so in verse 6 and verse 7, he says to Joshua, be strong and of a good courage. And so the first resource you need is strength. Yes, you need strength. Somebody shout strength. Let me define strength for you. Strength is the quality that allows you to continue when you feel like quitting. That's what strength is. Haven't you ever heard your grandparents pray, Lord, give me strength? In other words, they feel like quitting, but they need to press forward. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, 
verse 10 through 20, he teaches us about how to be strong. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole arm of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Look at this. For your struggle is not an imaginary one, but it is also not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil. I wish somebody was paying attention in heavenly realm. Because you have an invisible enemy, you must put on the full armor of God. And when the evil one attacks you, you will be able to stand your ground. And having done all to stand, stand with the the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take the shield of faith and the sword of, of the spirit and the helmet of salvation which, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In other words, you need spiritual resources in order to build your strength. Not only do you need strength, but you also need courage. To this day, in the Wizard of Oz, my favorite character still is and has always been not Dorothy, not Glenda, the Wicked Witch of the North, not the Tin Man, not the Scarecrow. But to this day, my favorite character has always been the Cowardly Lion. I love the Cowardly Lion because I'm convinced if you don't have a brain, come on now, if you don't have a whole lot of intelligence, if you don't have a whole lot of book smarts, but if you have some courage, I wish I had some, if you got some courage, if you just believe that you can make it even though you don't have the essential tools required for you to qualify for whatever it is you're trying to go after. But if you have some courage, courage makes you go ignorant on yourself. Courage makes you say, I can do it. Even though all the science, all the studies, all the professors, all the experts say you don't qualify. But when you're ignorant, you don't know you don't qualify. I'm just going forward anyhow. Courage. Courage. Ah, we need to pray. We need to pray that God will give us courage. What is sometimes standing in our way from achieving is not somebody else. It's just our own courage. Courage. He said, be strong and courageous because you're going to need courage to lead these people to inherit the land. The third resource you're going to need is obedience. Hallelujah. What is obedience? Obedience is this. Discovering what God specifically wants you to do and how he wants you to do it and then doing it to his glory. Amen. That's obedience. Discovering specifically what it is God wants you to do. God told the first king of Israel, Samuel, not Samuel, excuse me, but Saul, in 1 Samuel 15, 22. This is what he told him. He said, obedience is better than sacrifice. Can I get a witness? Now listen, my brothers and sisters, in this world, 
There are places for people to be mavericks, to buck the system or to break out of the box. But there is also a place for obedience. And God honors obedience. And the final resource is focus. Focus. Somebody shout focus. You can read through the Bible if you focus. Oh, I wish I had some help. You can have a good prayer life if you focus. You can recruit people to serve with you in ministry if you focus. Yes, yes, you can do great things when you focus. God told Joshua, do not turn from it to the right or to the left. It's some very attractive stuff happening on the right. And sometimes what's happening on the left looks better than the promised land. But what I need you to do, Joshua, I need you to focus. I don't need you to get distracted by stuff that's passing by on the side of you. I need you to focus. I know some of you think you're pretty good at multitasking, but there is an impediment deeply embedded in the whole process of multitasking that deceives us into thinking that by doing several things at one time, we are actually making progress. But I will tell you something. I dare you to focus on just one of those things. I dare you to be good at just one of those things. You will discover in your life that when you focus, you get further down the road. You get there faster. What you do is more meaningful when we focus. Focus. He said, focus, Joshua. He said, because when you focus, you will be successful everywhere you go. And then finally, he says in verse 8, and this is the final resource. It's not an intrinsic resource but it's an external resource. He says, and and for your worksheet, the Word of God makes the biggest difference. How are you going to keep up your strength? How are you going to keep up your courage? How are you going to keep up your focus? You're going to do it by giving attention to the Word of God. Do not let this book, he says, depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Somebody shout meditate so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And he says, then you're then you will be prosperous. Somebody shout prosperous. And then you will be successful. Somebody shout successful. Hallelujah. It's good to know that God wants you to be prosperous and God wants you to be successful. He says, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let me say something, my brothers and sisters, as I close. What God is trying to say Joshua, once you get over there into the promised land, you start building community, and you build a university of Israel, the university of the Hebrews. He's saying you start offering courses and coursework and classes and all that and degrees and advanced degrees. He said, Joshua, he said, I don't have any problem with intelligence. As a matter of fact, ignorance doesn't have much value in the kingdom of God. He said, but on the other hand, Joshua, I don't ever want you to think that you get so smart that you don't need God's word. I wish I had. He said, I don't ever want you to replace my word with somebody else's words. You see, when you learn the words in a science book, 
Don't you know it about 10 years later, somebody's going to come along and they're going to rewrite the science. I wish I had some help here. But the Bible says his word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word does not change. How am I going to make it through this life? Because I'm going to stand on his word. David said, your word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against you. David said, I'm going to trust in his word. In the beginning was what? The word. The word is a lamp to my feet. And your word is a light to my path. How was the world created? It was created because God spoke his word. And how am I going to do what God has called me to do? I must rely on the power of his word. Back in the day, Courtney and No Limits, we used to sing a song. We are often tossed and driven. On a restless sea of time, somber skies and howling tempests all secede the bright sunshine. But in that land of perfect day, when the mists are rolled away, we'll understand it better by and by. And then there's another verse that says, we are often destitute of the things that life demands, want of shelter and of food, thirsty hills and barren land. But... We're trusting in the Lord and according to his word. That's where we're standing. I'm standing on his word. And he has promised me that his word will never fail. Come on, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet, my brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. 